Mark, the Gospel of Mark, chapter number nine. My wife told me this morning that I preached two messages or twice as long last week. And so she said, I have to take it off of this week and next week. And so I guess next two weeks will be a little bit shorter or so she thinks. (laughs) But I appreciate, I, I enjoy our church when we come together on that fifth Sunday, our church, when there's five Sundays in a month, our church comes together and we have one service and I know it's packed and a lot of people, but, uh, I enjoy those services. I enjoyed last week. This is the first Sunday of the of the new year. And uh, how many of you, have, you made a New Year's resolution on the first and you've already broken it? Huh? Just a couple of you. All right. How many of you are lying right now? <laughs> how many of you just stopped making New Year's resolutions because you, you keep... <laughs> there we go. That's it. All right, Mark chapter number nine, verse number 14. We're going to read beginning in verse number 14 down through verse number 29. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them and the scribes questioning with them. And straightway, all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, what question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him and foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out and they could not. He answered him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming. And he asked his father, How long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, Of a child. And oftentimes it casteth him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, If thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and read him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? And he said unto them, this kind can come forth by nothing, but by prayer and fasting. I want you to think about this, this incident here, this experience here that the disciples, they've been following Jesus for a a period of time. They've watched Jesus do these miracles They've watched Jesus cast out devils. They've seen him do incredible things. And now the disciples are, are by themselves at different periods of times. Jesus would allow his disciples to go out and, and they were going to do what Jesus was doing. And the reason why Jesus was doing this, he was teaching and training his disciples because Jesus knew this in a short matter of time, he was going to be gone. And all of this was going to be left to the disciples to do. 
And he was giving the disciples these opportunities to, to, to go and, and cast out devils and heal and, 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 and preach the kingdom of heaven. And there was a, a man that brought his, his child to them. And this child was possessed with a devil, a demon. And just, I want you to think about if you had a child that the Bible says here, he would cast him in the fire and cast him in the waters to destroy him. If you were a parent and there was something with your child that whenever you weren't looking or watching or constantly having to be aware of this child, because this demon would try to burn this child, would try to try to drown this child. Imagine the fear that that would put you in. I, I don't know about you. It'd be hard for me to sleep at night thinking that as soon as I fell asleep, that this child was going to be injured. It would be hard for me to work thinking that while I was away from this child, trying to, to earn a living so this child could eat, but I'd have such fear that this child would be dead. And this, this is the, the fear that this man is living in. This is this, this uh, life that this man has had. And, and, and Jesus said, how long has this been? And this man said, it's been a, since a child. This, this is something that this family has endured continually. And the father hears, obviously he hears of the miracles that are taking place with Jesus. He hears about what um, the disciples are doing and he brings his son hoping to find help. And he brings his son to these disciples and there isn't help. Matter of fact, there's just more hurt because this father believing that this is probably the answer to this problem, our, our problems are going to be resolved. My son is going to be safe if I can just get them to Jesus for his disciples. And he brings him to Jesus's disciples. And instead of, instead of that problem going away, or instead of that situation being, being gone in their life, what happened would be this. There was more stress. There's more anxiety. There's more fear. Because now if Jesus's disciples can't help me, who can? I, I think of that as my message last week was just preparing us for this new year, our hearts. And today that message as well. I want to preach today on unbelief, on unbelief. It was the apostles. It was the disciples unbelief that caused this man who had this great need not to get this need met. I believe this, that God has placed his church here upon this earth to show his great power, to, to, to do miraculous things, to see lives changed and lives healed. And, and I, want, I want to make this statement to you today as we get into this message. I, I hope you understand this. The, the faith life is the Christian life. The, the Christian life is lived by faith. It, what we do in faith is really what describes this life of Christianity. We're, we're constantly living by faith and constantly trusting the Lord. And unfortunately at times though, we, we have unbelief. We, we, we only have one time in our eternal existence in which to exercise faith. And it's now, you ever think about that? It's, it's right now is the one time if you're, if you're a child of God, if you've trusted Christ as your savior, you're going to live for eternity. But do you realize once you get to heaven, you're not going to need faith any longer. You're going to see it. 
It's gonna be revealed to us. We're gonna understand things that we don't understand now. We're gonna see Jesus face to face. We're gonna be in the presence of God. We aren't going to need faith once we get into eternity. This time right now is the one time in all of our eternal existence that we as Christians should exercise faith. It's now. I want you to see in verse number 24 of this, of this uh, reading here, and straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. The, the father's statement was this, help in any area that I don't believe. I believe, that's why I'm here. And, and, and if there's any area in my life, there is any unbelief, then help that. Encourage me in that, strengthen me in that. I want you to go to Matthew, if you would, just one book over. Matthew writes of this account as well in Matthew chapter number 17. Matthew writes as well of this father bringing his child. In verse number 14 of the book of Matthew, he writes this in verse number 14. And when they were come into the multitude, there came them a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed. For oft times he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. He's saying the same thing. Uh, if, I, if, I, if he gets out of my sight, I'm afraid he's gonna, he's gonna burn or he's gonna drown because this, this demon is just, it's gonna destroy him. And look what he says, I brought him to thy disciples and they could not cure him. That's probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. I brought him to the people that follow you and they couldn't do anything about it. I brought him to the disciples and nothing's changed. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and How long shall I suffer you? Bring him thither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples. Look look what the disciples do. They come to Jesus and, and they ask him, why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if ye have faith as a grain of a mustard seed, ye shall say unto the mountain, remove hence to yonder place and it shall be removed and nothing shall be impossible unto you. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, the reason you couldn't accomplish that is because of your unbelief. And and, and, and there's nothing, there's nothing the disciples could not have accomplished in Jesus' name if they just didn't believe. I believe this, all of us, I'm, I, I, would, I would believe this to be true. All of us want to live our lives in such a way that Christ can prove himself in us and through us. And that's what the disciples would have been doing. They would have been living their life in such a way. The power didn't come from the disciples. The power came from Christ. But the disciples were able to live this out because of their faith in Christ but the disciples found themselves powerless. And Jesus said this, it's because of your unbelief. And and today I want to talk to us about this unbelief and we must deal with unbelief in our life. There's some things in our life that if we're not careful, we can just, just identify them and just go on. And, and, And thinking that because we've identified them, then it's okay. We don't have to do anything about it. 
But we as humans, there's things in our lives that must change. And in the first step obviously is to identify those things. And, but as Christians, we should never be settled with things in our life that, that uh, are powerless or areas in our life that are areas of unbelief. We should constantly want to be growing in our faith. We should constantly be wanting Christ to do things that are only explained through Christ. We're, we're not talking about man doing things where man gets the attention or man gets the applause. I'm talking about us living a level of faith, living a life of faith, so that as we're living that life of faith, others see Christ in us. The hindrances we have as Christians come from our unbelief. I believe this. There are some things that God, Christ wants to do through us. And those hindrances are because of our unbelief. It's not because God's a powerless God. Listen, we, we, we say, well, the world is just a, a evil, wicked place. God has done wonderful things when the world before has been an evil, wicked place. I, I was reminded, I was reading yesterday, I was reading the story of Noah and, and the earth was so exceedingly violent and wicked that the Bible says this, that, that God repented that he even made man. You think how wicked the world is. We think the, wicked, the world is wicked now. Imagine at that time where God was going to, the, to completely annihilate, annihilate the human race. But the Bible says that, that Noah found grace in the sight of the Lord and the Lord gave Noah his covenant. What covenant was that? That the Redeemer was going to come. And, 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 and the world was such a wicked place, but God sent a flood. And, and I, I think even bigger than that is the fact that one man God used to build this ark to, to save all the things that God created. You talk about a miracle during a wicked time. You see, God is always looking for someone that will live by faith so that he is seen greater. It took great belief. The Bible says this, that it never rained up until that point of Noah. And so when, when, when Noah's told, hey, a great flood's going to come, a what? That water's going to come down and it's going to flood the earth. Water, the Bible said, water had never come down. It came up through the ground, but the water had never come down. Dew from the, the ground uh, is what watered the grass and, 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 the, and the things of the earth. But it never rained like this before. But Noah, Noah had faith, believing not what he saw, but believing God. And because of that faith, God did a miraculous thing in Noah's life. And God could have done a miraculous thing in the disciples' life here, but they lacked faith. They had unbelief. And I believe this, church, the hindrance that we have as Christians, it often comes from our unbelief. Now, we'll blame other things. We'll, we'll, we'll blame society and we'll blame our jobs and we'll blame our spouse and we'll blame our church and we'll blame our friends and we'll blame all other things. But the reality is this, many hindrances in our life are come because of unbelief. If we truly believe that God could do the impossible, would we live differently? There's different faith. And the Bible talks about receiving faith um, by grace are you saved through faith. In order for a person to get saved or receive Christ, it takes faith, believing what Christ did on the cross, believing that he took your sin 
and became sin for you on the cross and believing that he was placed into a tomb and, and that he was resurrected on the third day. That takes great faith. But, but once we receive Christ, once we're saved, our faith doesn't end. We as Christians, we now have this risk faith, this risking faith, this, this, this life that we're lived where we see the impossible done. How many of you want to live your life? And you don't have to raise your hand, but in your heart, would you answer this? How many of you want to live your life where you are living a risking faith, a life of the impossible? I mean, seeing God do what only God can do. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So oftentimes we have to see it to believe it. We have to see it. We have to put it on paper and make sure it's going to work. But, but God doesn't live in that economy. God lives in an economy where he can do the impossible things. He can fix broken marriages when everyone else thinks it's hopeless. He can, he can fix broken finances when everyone else thinks it's hopeless. He can, he can revive uh, dry bones when, when everyone else thinks it's hopeless. He can, he can allow just Gideon and a few hundred people to, to go into an army and, and defeat an entire army of thousands and thousands and thousands when everyone else thinks it's hopeless. He can take a, a group of Israelites and walk around a wall, never to to pick up a hammer, never to pick up a, a, a tool to, to tear the wall down, never to, never to pick up a ladder to go over the wall. He, they could just simply walk around that wall and God do the impossible. And listen, we, we read of this God throughout the Bible. I, in my study, I, I attempt every year, I, 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 my desire is to always read through the Bible every year. And, and and then through study and to preach and that sort of thing. And so obviously several, probably really read through the Bible several times a year, but just in my own personal study, I just want to read through from beginning to end. And I'm in a place right now where God is just doing the impossible in his word. And, and, I, and I, I catch myself saying, God, if you can do it then, I want you to do it now. I've told you before, I love to read of, of, of revivals that have happened in, in, in times past. And, and I read those revivals and I see people, continents shake. And I read of men like D.L. Moody who shook two continents and over a million people come to Christ. And, and, I, and I see that God says he's not a respecter of persons. There was no power that D.L. Moody had in himself. That power came from God. And God has that same power and God has that same desire. And so why? Why aren't we seeing those things happen? I believe it's because we don't have the faith to see those things happen. It's not because God doesn't want to see it happen. It's not that because God has lost his love for mankind. The Bible still says in John three sixteen that God so loved the world and he loves the world today as much as he did 2000 years ago when that scripture was written. He loves mankind today just as much as he did when he went to the cross and he shed his blood and he died for all mankind. He doesn't love mankind any less. He loves them the same today. I believe he wants to do great things. But I fear that Satan has not only rejected God, he's, he's also constructed a way of life so that we can live independently of God. And you know what I'm afraid, Christians, some, if we're not careful, we can live independently of God. We can hold our Bible. We can go to church. 
we can call ourselves a Christian, but God's not evident in any decisions that we're making in our life. We're not stepping out by faith to prove God. And it isn't prove God so that he blesses me. I'm talking about proving God so he receives glory. I'm talking about doing something big for God, believing that God can, not so someone looks at you and says, what a great man, what a great woman, but that someone looks at God and says, what a great God. But Satan has this life constructed where we can live independently of God. And Satan teaches men to live independently of God. And, and, and we live in a, a world now that produces the man-centered life. Look at what I've done. We see it in society. We see it in politics. We see it in business. And, and listen, if we're not careful, we can see it in churches as well. Look what we've done. Look what man's done. And that's not the life that God desires for us to live. We are to live a life of belief, a life of faith. So the decisions that we make, the life that we live, others see that and say, look at God and what he's done. I asked you this question this morning. Are you willing? And I ask myself this question as well. Am I willing to deal with unbelief in our lives? If we dealt with unbelief in our lives, what would this year look like? What would be different this year than last year? What, what, would, what would change in our life if we would be willing to deal with unbelief? I want you to turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 5. Are you with me this morning? 1 John chapter 5. If we deal with it, you see, sometimes we know it, but we don't always deal with it. Let me tell you a personal story before we go here. It's been several years now, 11 years, 12 years this upcoming this year that my father, my father passed away. He was 55 years old. He had a, a massive heart attack and died. They said that he, before he hit the ground, he was, he, was, he was dead. There was no saving him. They tried to do CPR and it was just too late. So he had our heart issues and, and, and we didn't know those things, but we found them out. It was too late. And so my wife at that time, she says, I want you to make sure that you're healthy. And, and be honest with you, I, I wasn't healthy. I wasn't healthy. And, and, and to, be, to be truthfully honest with you, I didn't care. I knew I was unhealthy, but I didn't care because Oreo cookies and ice cream was too good to care. And good tasting food was too good and sugar was too addicting. And my wife was concerned. She says, you, you're just not taking care of yourself. And, and I knew I wasn't, but then I got upset with her for reminding me. How many of you men ever been there before? Amen. I, I got upset. I knew I needed to change. And finally, my wife sat me down and she said this. She said, your father died at 55. 
if you loved me and loved your children, you'd do something about your weight. I didn't like that. I said, um, I didn't marry you to be my mother. I married you. I didn't say that. I knew better than that. Because <laughs> I'd probably be living with my mother if I would have said that to her, huh? <laughs> but she pointed something out in my life that I knew was there. But I didn't, I didn't want to do anything about. And... Um, it took a little bit of time before I finally realized I took a little bit of time and took a couple of doctor's appointments where the doctor said to me, do you want to end up like your father or do you want to see your grandchildren? And I said, now you sound like my wife. There's always things in our life that we know we need to change. Are you willing to change those things? Or are you just going to live life the same way you've always lived it? Making excuses. Unbelief is one of those things I believe in the Christian's life that we know it's there. We make excuses for it. And today I want to challenge you. I, I, I want to hit you right in the heart with this. Are we going to do something different about it? In 1 John 5, verse number 13, the Bible says this, these things have I written unto you that ye believe on the name of the son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the son of God. It, it almost is like he's saying the same thing there, but, but really what, what uh, the author here in John, John is saying is this, we believe in order for us to believe. So believing brings us to believing. We believe in him to believe in him more. And so I trust him to trust him more. We, our belief in God, it enlarges our vision of God. Our belief in God ought to enlarge our vision of God. Our belief in God ought to cause us to believe that God can do even more. Our, our faith in God, as we believe, you know what believing does? It leads us to more believing. You know what trusting does? It leads us to more trusting. It's exercising our faith. It's, 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 it's pushing in areas of our life that we know we're weak, but it's, it's desiring to be strong. And the closer we get to God, the more we believe God, the more we trust God. You know what the result of that is? More belief, more trust. We today, I want us to put our minds and our hearts thinking about the greatness of God. I mean, we're talking about the God who simply spoke the, the heavens into existence. We're talking about the God that made uh, man and woman. We're talking about the God that has performed such great miracles. We're talking about the God that, that took this young boy and cast this demon out. We, we talk about a God that, that took that, that woman that had that issue of blood and just by simply touching him, she was healed. I'm talking about a God who can take every single trial and every single problem and every single situation in your life and he can receive glory from it if Simply we would believe. 
I'm talking about a church today that could, that could reach this Toledo area and this entire world. I don't believe that God would have ever given us a mission to do if that mission was impossible. That mission is possible if we believe in him. I believe this world can be turned upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe the, the two and a half or three billion people living today in this world that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, I believe they can hear it if we believe that God can do it. I believe that God can heal broken relationships. I believe, I believe that he can fix things. I believe that he can meet our needs. Today, we need to think about the greatness of God and believing leads to believing. Trusting leads to trusting. Will we trust him today? Once we see God in his greatness, we believe God for more. Listen, church, I want to rejoice with you. I, I really, I'll be honest with you, in my heart this past week, I, I, I wasn't sure how I wanted to approach our, our Christmas offering. I, I wanted to get up. I thought about doing a video and, 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 and just having a celebration and saying, can you believe $109,000 for a Christmas offering this year? How many of you saw that in the bulletin? How many of you didn't see it? Just heard it for the first time. When, I, when those numbers came in this past week and the totals were, were coming in, I thought to myself, unbelievable. And the majority of that money is all going to missionaries and preachers and church planners. And, and, and I mean, it's just our church is just giving away that money to people in the ministry. I called a, a pastor at starting a church up in the Grand Rapids, Michigan area. And uh, he was one of the ones that we, we in a booklet said we're going to give to. And I called him. I said, we're, we're going to send some, some money to you this, this week and told him what happened. I said, I just need to make sure we have the right address. So we, we sent it to you. And he said, that is an answer to prayer. What we didn't do, we didn't contact those ministries and contact those pastors before we, uh, there was a booklet that was put together with their names and their pictures and their ministries. They had no idea that we were going to send this money. This is all a surprise to them. You say, why didn't you tell them? Because I had unbelief. Part of me said, I don't want to call them and tell them we're going to send something unless it comes in. Oh, God took that and just smote me with that this week. He said, I, I'm not even going to just give, I'm not even just going to uh, uh, reach the goal. I'm going to double that goal. I called one this week, this past week, and he said, you, you, you don't understand what that's going to do. He said, we are, are in the middle of, a, of, of raising some, some finances. We are just planting this church, and a church uh, right here in the area was closing its doors, and there's going to put their building up for sale, and, and we could get in this building. And, and they said that uh, uh, we're not going to give you this building, but we'll sell it to you, and we'll give you six months to raise the money to, to get into this building. I said, how much is it? He said, $50,000. He said, we've got six months to raise 50. I said, you're going to get the whole building for 50,000. He says, yeah. Either we're going to put it on the market and sell it for a couple hundred thousand dollars. I thought to myself, oh, I hope he has more belief than I did. 
I said, well, we're going we're gonna to send you some money. I said, matter of fact, we, 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 uh, we're going to send $1,000 to you. I said, but, but we, we've raised more money, so we'll double that and we'll send you $2,000 so that you can get into this building. And he just kept going on. He said, I'm going to call the, the, the people that are part of this church plant, the, the families that have joined together and we're having Bible studies. I can't wait to call them this afternoon and let them know what God is doing. And and I thought this, because of the faithfulness of the people here, it isn't that we're using that money for something for ourselves or using that money to to pay down debt or to buy buildings. We're using that money to to give it to people in the ministry so they can do ministry for the Lord. He's going to call his people and he's going to tell his people, I know last week when we met and we prayed and we thought to ourselves, we're just planting this church and there's just three or four couples, families that are are going to launch this church and God has put this thing and they are looking at this $50,000 project as impossible. How are we going to start a church and in six months raise $50,000 to pay for a building? And he says, out of the blue, a phone call comes and says, we're going to give the first $2,000 so you can get into that building. He said, I can't wait to tell the people that God can do it. See, once we see God in his greatness, we can believe God for more. Romans chapter one, turn there with me if you would please. Romans chapter number one in your Bibles. Romans chapter number one. Find Acts. Next book is Romans. God is preparing us for a greater exercise of faith. God all through scripture, he's preparing his people for a great exercise of faith. You say, well, what is that specifically? I don't know. God is preparing you for a great exercise of faith. You realize when God's working in your life, that's what he's doing. He's bringing you to a place where you exercise your faith in him. He's constantly working in your life to bring you to that place. I want you to see just the different times that faith is mentioned in this book here of Romans chapter number one. Look with me in verse number five, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. The faith among all nations. We, we, we're to give the gospel, the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the world. I want you to see in verse number eight, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Think about that. He says, I'm thanking God through Christ for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Here is a small group of people in relation to the whole world. And Paul says, I'm thanking God for you because your faith is known throughout the world. You know what that means? What you're doing for Christ. He's always preparing his children to exercise faith. And and he says this in verse eight, your, your faith is spoken of. You know what that means? What you're doing for God is spoken of. I don't think that there's a better, a better uh, thing that, of a church that could be said that your faith is being spoken of uh, around the whole world. 
Uh, there, there's people being saved in, in Africa right now because of the faith of our church. There's people being saved in South America because of the faith of our church. There's people being saved in, in Juarez, Mexico because of the faith of our church. And not everybody in the church can go. And not everybody in the church can, can go and learn a different language and, and, and quit their jobs and, and go. But, but there is, is, is faith in giving and faith in serving so that a church can send and and, and, and those that give to missions and those, those that receive those missions dollars are, are there so that their faith can go and the, the whole world can see and hear of the faith that comes out of a, a small little township called Monclova. You know what God wants to do? He, he wants to take and do make a great footprint in the world with a group of people a small group of people that's willing to let God be God. Your faith is spoken of in what you do. Your faith is spoken of in the sacrifice that you do. Uh, this, this year, I want you to think and I want you to pray. And I want you to ask God that he would allow you to sacrifice so that our faith is spoken of around this world. Our faith is spoken of because of our sacrifice. Our faith is spoken of because of our zeal. I thought about that, our faith being spoken of because of, of our sacrifice. In those funds for our, our Christmas offering, we're going to give those to ministries, and those ministries are going to uh, serve people and give the gospel, and they're going to reach people that will never meet. One of those ministries, it's called Covered and Maybe you've not heard about it. It's a ministry right here in Toledo that goes into the sex trade and, 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 and they rescue these, these women out of that sex trade industry and, and, and they get them off of drugs and get them out of that, that, that prostitution and, and, and all, out of these clubs and, and, and they give them the gospel. And my wife and I were at a, at a banquet when we met these ladies, these women that have been taken from that and the gospel has changed their life. But they told us that in many back rooms of many buildings in Toledo, many strip joints and places that probably I hope nobody in this church even knows where they're at. They said there's 15 year old girls that are being taken and being placed in the sex trafficking. They're being drugged up and then they're being sold. I, I hear that and I go home to my 15 year old girl. And, and I say this, somebody's got to sacrifice. So the gospel can be given. I, I think of those that are addicted to, to drugs or alcohol and Somebody has to reach them and we're not going to reach them like God wants to reach them by playing it safe, by holding things close. We're going to reach them when our faith is spoken of around this world. Yesterday, I said to my wife yesterday, yesterday evening, by the time the day was over, I, I looked at my wife and said, this has been a rough day. We, um, 
started yesterday, Friday evening, and then there was a families in our church. Uh, Pam Tony and Robert Miller buried their 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 father. Mary Ruth buried her husband, Edmund Miller. There's hearts that are hurting. There's 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 pain there. Yesterday morning they had a graveside service and then they gathered as a family and they buried someone that they love. I heard of another pastor, a, a good friend of someone here in our church. He pastored a church. He was in someone in our church's wedding. They've known each other since seventh grade. Got word yesterday that he just couldn't take the pressures anymore. Some things had happened in his life and he, and he hung himself yesterday morning. Devastating to families. As a wife and children. Hear that news, praying for that family. Sat with, sat with Suzanne Sears and George yesterday, just the three of us sat in their home and Suzanne said the cancer's back. There was a tumor that she found out that they just could not remove during the surgery and it's wrapped around her intestines and they're probably not going to be able to remove it. And she just looked at me and cried and said, Pastor, I don't want to go through chemo again, but I want to leave my family. Got word last evening of a wife going through some difficulties going through divorce and the husband comes and throws battery acid on her and, 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 and throws gasoline on her and sets her on fire. What I'm saying church is people are needy and people need the love of Christ and people need a church that's willing to sacrifice and give and go because there's a lost world that needs the faith that we have and needs to hear the faith that we have. And here, Paul writing the book of Romans, he says this, I thank God through Jesus Christ for you, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I'm going to be bold enough to challenge our church to live in such a way that our faith is spoken of around this world. There's people in our own community. There's people in nursing homes that need to hear the gospel. There's people in jails and prisons that need to hear the gospel. There's, there's addicts that need to hear the gospel. There's, there's prostitutes that need to hear the gospel. And listen to me, there's husbands and wives that it looks good from the outside and everything looks really good. And guess what? They need to hear the gospel as well. There's people working full-time full jobs and they're living in for themselves and living, thinking they're in control. They need to hear the gospel as well. There's boys and girls that are growing up and they're growing up in a society that's telling them that there is no God. They need to hear the truth of the gospel. And I don't think that we ought to just complain and, and curse the darkness. I think that we ought to shine a light in this world so that this world hears and sees of our faith so they can believe as well. We need to live by faith so the lost see Christ. And we need to live by faith so that the brethren are encouraged as well.